0: Hey guys, hey guys, Hey Guy Chapter 2, Hey Guys. (laughs) Okay. Just kidding, it's not Hey Guy Chapter 2, it's Hey Guys. Okay. Um so this is part two of Faith Anointing Glory that we started yesterday. Yesterday we talked about faith and anointing, and so today we deal with the third part of the trifecta, which is glory. Yeah? Um, hey Guy, could I have my uh, Hebrew? It's amazing. Hey Guy, can I have my Hebrew? I, I find it terribly funny, <laughs> but <laughs> if nobody else gets it, let me just chuckle inside for a second. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Brandon. (laughs) Okay. So yesterday we talked about faith and anointing and today we do glory. See, faith and anointing have limits because they pertain to man. Faith and anointing have limits because they pertain to man. But there are no limitations to glory. Faith and anointing have limits because man is involved. My faith is involved. How far will I exert it? What is my capacity when it comes to anointing? how yielded I am. We talked about those six factors. But when it comes to glory, there are no limits. There is no limitation to glory, though faith and anointing have limits because they pertain to man. And so the anointing is like um, taking water in a glass and the size of the glass determines the amount of water in the glass. But glory is like an ocean poured out from heaven. These are just comparisons that will help us understand how how superior glory is to everything else that is how superior it is and it was God's original plan. eh? There was never a need for faith till Adam sinned. There was only obedience. Faith happened after Adam Adam sinned and now he had to exert faith to overcome his uh, mind that had become um, a, a mind that couldn't think like God. Till then it was only obedience. So the point is that the anointing is like taking water in a glass and the size of the glass can vary and according to the capacity of the glass, water can be poured into it. But glory is like an ocean poured poured down from heaven. Glory is like an ocean poured down from heaven. For instance, if anointing and faith heals sickness, the Shekinah or the glory of God makes sickness illegal. We see that in Psalm 105, verse 37, where it says, there was not a single person who was feeble amongst them. Meaning, with the Shekinah of God, dwelling in the midst of a stiff-necked people, when they left Egypt and as they walked through the wilderness, there was not one that was sick among them. When they died, they died of plagues. When they died, they died because of limitations God had put on their lives because of disobedience. But here's the great thing, that because the Shekinah dwelt outside a people, because the glory of God was that which they encamped around, there was none that was sick among them. This is the difference. Faith and anointing can heal sickness. Glory can make sickness illegal. That is the ridiculous difference when God pours out his glory. Faith places a demand on the anointing. We talked about this yesterday, that faith places a demand on the anointing but one who walks in the anointing can open up the floodgates of glory. Faith places a demand on the anointing but one who walks in the anointing can open the floodgates of glory. Why? Because here is a man or a woman who's yielded. Here is a man or a woman who's pressing into character. Here is a man or a woman who is uh, foolish and therefore Uh, risks things for God. Here is a man or a woman who walks in order and therefore has a framework to operate within. Here is a man or a woman who has capacity. And, and, And so the point being, faith can place a demand on the anointing, but the anointing is what opens the floodgates of glory. A church that is anointed is one step away from opening the floodgates of glory so that God can pour from heaven what he wants to, to saturate the earth. Most churches, however, get so enamored with the anointing that they peddle the anointing. And it's only a matter of time where anointing that is peddled will distort or will corrupt. should never make money out of your anointing. I remember, um, many of you haven't heard this story, but I remember uh, going to Indonesia the first time with uh, Elmer and Ann. And we met a man in a small group who was a businessman who uh, was going bankrupt. And he asked if we would come to Jakarta to pray for his business. And my immediate response was no because it's very common in Indonesia to have holy men pray for your business. So I said no. And so we went back, and I was talking to Anne and Elmer and felt God saying no, you should go. So um, I said, okay, I'll come. And so he flew me to Jakarta, treated me really well, put me up in really good hotels. And the only thing God said to me as I was going to Jakarta was uh, two things. One, say exactly what I ask you to tell him. And two, he'll offer you... An envelope full of money when you're done do not receive it and so for the sake of this teaching that's exactly what happened I won't go into the details of what happened next but at the end of the day after having said everything to him and he was delivered he was set free he was a new man in gratitude not to buy me but in gratitude he pulled out an envelope thick envelope full of US dollars hundred dollar bills and he gave it to me and I remember giving him a hug and saying thank you but no thank you and walking out of there. You cannot pedal your anointing. Whenever you pedal your anointing, that's when it becomes a form of divination, especially when it is a prophetic anointing. Anointing is critical. We said this yesterday. Anointing is critical for the role you function in, but glory is critical for the move of God through you anointing is critical for the role you function in but glory is what is critical for the move of God that we are presently in and our anointing is not sufficient to carry this globally but the glory of God my God that the glory of God is so 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 accustomed to washing over the world it's been doing it from the beginning of time And that is why I feel that we need to talk about faith, we need to talk about anointing, we need to talk about glory. All three, like us, I said yesterday, are critical determinants of what we are involved in. They are progressive and they are cyclical. So it's not like we just go from faith to anointing to glory and that's it. No, it's cyclical, it keeps happening again and again I exert faith for, uh, so that I can expect things of God, so that my degree of expectancy is huge. After that, I begin to um, follow the six factors we spoke of yesterday so that God can anoint and send us out to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the sick, to open blind eyes. Man, this morning I woke up and I I, I literally was telling God that, Father, I feel I got wings. Because there was this readiness to the gospel shoes I was wearing today, like I rarely felt. And then comes this idea of glory where it is, hey, great that the anointing is critical for the role I want you to function in, Jacob, but there is also a move I want to bring on the earth and that nobody's anointing can handle that. That needs a washing of the earth with the glory of God and we will define glory. So faith brings to life God's principle. Faith brings to life God's principle. So faith brings to life God's principle. Anointing brings to life God's power and glory brings to life God's manifest, omnipotent, unlimited person and presence. And you can disregard anointing and glory. eh? It's not that just because God is saying, Hey, I want you to step into the anointing that is upon you, Jacob. Or I want you to step into the glory that I'm sending you away, Acts 29. It doesn't mean that now we are forced to. We can disregard the anointing and the glory. And it doesn't mean that God will change his mind and lift it. He'll wait to see if he will respond to it. He doesn't necessarily change his mind. But God may change his method and he may alter your destiny. God may change his method and he may alter your destiny. When God sends his glory, it is to achieve a purpose on earth. And if Saul is not ready to walk in that anointing and in that glory, then God changes his method and he raises up a David. God changes your destiny because now the reason he put you on earth is not going to work out. So he changes your destiny, he reshapes it, he puts it back on the potter's wheel because he loves you and he will, not, he will not deprive you, he will not diss you, he will not damage you, but he will change and alter destiny. So don't be a holdout in these situations. eh? Please don't sit on your high horse with your arms folded saying, yeah, yeah, we'll see, let me think about this, I don't know about this. All that will happen is your destiny will change. Because God will change his method, he won't change what he's going to do. At 55, I don't want God to change his method, nor do I want him to change my destiny. I want to live it out, man. At 25, you think you can afford it. At 55, you have enough wisdom to know you can't afford it. So let's define glory. I literally saw someone sitting with their arms folded up. With that look saying, Convince me. I ain't here to convince you, man. Let's define glory. Glory is God's there are different ways we can talk about it. Glory is God's fullness. Glory is God's fullness. It's all that He is, all that He has. It is His I amness. It is His uh, weight. It is the weight and the splendor of His Majesty. We'll have to use words like this because none of us have seen his glory except for Jesus. And even what the uh, Peter and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration really is a, um, is a lesser version of what God is really like. Again, I was watching my favorite channel uh, on some days, which is the NASA channel, and they were showing pictures of the sun. Um, and um, there were these... Sun flares that were happening and it was brilliant it was so bright and i'm looking at that and i'm thinking to myself so if this is glorious what is the glory of god like because the sun is only 109 times bigger than the earth and god must be so much bigger occupying a place beyond space what is his glory like what they saw on the mount of transfiguration ain't nothing man How do you describe something like that? But this is what God's plan was right from the beginning. listen, I want you to know the fullness of glory. This is what is shocking for me. I've been trying to wrap my head around it for a while and I'm not able to. That this glorious God, whose glory is brighter than the brightest uh, sun, um, whose glory is exceeding, who fills the universe and then beyond, who cannot be contained, this God is saying to Jacob, this finite five foot six, handsome individual. God is saying to this Jacob, listen, I want you to know the fullness of my glory. I want you to know the fullness of my glory. What kind of God is this, man? And he doesn't say these things to make me happy. He does these things so that I might actually believe him. And so he wants me to know what it is to... Know the breadth and the height, the depth and the length of who he is, as Paul said. Paul in Ephesians 1, in the apostolic prayer, is actually praying that people may know his glory, his fullness. He talks about it in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, too, that the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in Jesus Christ. And he dwells in us and that we are supposed to know his fullness. The, our time spent here on earth through circumstances, through hostility, through difficult times, is to continuously press into the glory of God, into the I amness of God, into the weight and the splendor of His majesty, into all that He is and all that He has. For the first time in the history of the earth, revealed through His Son, presented to us saying, Come take, come eat, come have. to limit glory to a two-hour service where some people keel over is just like Jane was saying, bottling it. Though even though that's part of his, that's a manifestation of his glory. In John 17, 24, Jesus actually prays that. In John 17, 24, Jesus prays. He's praying that amazing prayer for those that will come after him, for his disciples, including you and I. And in that prayer, he's praying, oh God, can you get them to a place where they will see, they will know the glory that I had with you before. He actually says that. It was Jesus' prayer that we know his glory. If Jesus prayed that prayer, let's let's just look at it, John 17, verse 24. Uh, What I'm trying to convince you guys is that we need to press into knowing the fullness of how I defined it. When I use the word glory, it is almost, in Christianese, glory is as often used as the word love is used in the world, where it's kind of lost its sense, and to begin with, it's a very difficult word to describe. So if you go to John 17, 24, for us this is critical at this stage because no global revival happens without the glory of God being poured out. And the strange thing is every time the glory of God has to be poured out, there has to be a vessel that it is poured out into. It can't be one individual, it has to be a people. And we'll go and talk about that. But um, if you look at John 17, 24, John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. They can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. There will be a time when we will know his splendor in a way that we've never known it before. And that time will not be on earth. But my God, I'm going to spend every ounce of my strength knowing it to the extent that I can know it so that the earth benefits once I'm gone to heaven the earth does not benefit here's the other thing guys and this is um, strange but important God usually does not visit us with his glory beyond the revelation we have of it God usually does not God usually does not Visit us with glory beyond the revelation we have of it, beyond the revelation we have of it. Because he's not an entertainer. He's not here to say, hey, wanna see my glory? No, his thing is, listen, can you begin to learn who I am? how i am if glory is about his i amness if glory is about his weight and splendor if glory is about his majesty if glory is about all that i am and all that i have if that is what Kabod or the weight of glory is then uh, the extent to which he visits with glory is often determined by the revelation that you have of it this is why when god spoke from Uh, uh, the heavens uh, over Jesus, you find four different reactions. Jesus heard it and understood it. The disciples heard it and did not understand it. The crowd heard it and said angels were speaking. And then one part of the crowd said, this is thunder. Four different reactions to this is my beloved son. One heard it and understood it because he knew what his father was like and was able to walk in sonship. Some heard it and they did not understand it. They could not figure it out. The third group heard it and they thought it was angels. The fourth group heard it and they thought it was noise or thunder. Fortunately, in 1 John 2 verse 27, it says that the anointing is within you. Jacob, as in Jesus Christ, the anointed one, and his Holy Spirit is within you. So you don't need to be taught. You can learn quickly. We can learn. The first place where glory is revealed is in the Gospels because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God and the letters that Paul writes begin to now break open what we just see as a biography in the Gospel is broken open so that we can put our hands in and actually eat of what has been presented. It is not possible to know the glory of God or define the glory of God or know whether it is the glory of God or is some other counterfeit if I am not fluent in the word. This is why counterfeit flourishes when it comes to things of glory and anointing. When you look at Exodus thirty-three nineteen and Hebrews one three, Exodus thirty-three nineteen and Hebrews one three. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. It says, God said, I will make my goodness pass right in front of you. I'll call out the name God right before you. Uh, that's from the message. Let, let me read from the NIV. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now go to Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here's the thing we need to know. If you and I need to get familiar with glory, as in familiar, as in push into glory, as in get to a place where we can live and move and have our being in the cloud of his glory. Because at the end of the day, if you want to get familiar with glory, you have to enter into the life of God. And there are three things you have to pursue if you want to live, move, and have your being in the cloud of his glory. And the three things that we can derive from Exodus thirty three nineteen and Hebrews one three are the goodness of God, which is the essence of his nature. The goodness of God, which is the essence of His nature, His presence, and His voice. An awareness of His presence, and a response and alertness to His voice. These are pathways into the glory of God into the I Amness of God, into the weight and splendor of God, into all that he is and all that he has, into the kabod of God. These are, when you take these two scriptures where Moses asks to be shown the glory of God and the way God responds saying, yeah, my presence will go with you. I'm going to proclaim my nature to you. I will show you my goodness. And Hebrews 1.3 where Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact representation of God's nature. And it is his voice that holds and sustains all things. These are three things that Acts 29 must. We do not have choices in matters nowadays. We do not have choices in matters, nor do we have the choice of the pace of how we grow nowadays. And thank God for that. These are three things that I must press into every day. I must be convinced more and more every day that listen, oh God, um, I, I, I'm able to see clearly your goodness despite my circumstances. I'm able to therefore speak clearly of your goodness without faith, without faith, out of sheer knowing. The, things, the words that come out of my mouth are not statements of faith saying God is good. They're statements of fact saying God is good. Of all the things that God could show him when Moses asked to see a glimpse of his glory goodness was what God came up with. The thing is till I know his glory by pressing into these three things I will never be able to convey it. I can convey teaching, I can convey Uh, a presentation of Jesus, I can convey things, but I'll never be able to convey glory in its purest form if this is not the purest form that I have arrived at. That in his essence, he is good and that I'm more and more aware of his presence on a 24-7 basis. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what kind of intense work I'm involved in. It doesn't matter that I'm teaching and preaching right now. Aware of his presence. Aware of his presence not in a tangible where are you Jesus but aware of his presence in an intangible I know you are here Jesus. Continuously aware. Continuously aware. And awareness of his presence only comes out of two things. Reverence and love. Those are the two things that always bring an awareness of presence. You are aware of someone's presence because you have such awe of them that your eyes are continuously looking for where they are. It's like serving some great king or some great NBA star or some great um, whatever, and you're continuously aware. It's strange, I didn't go to hockey. Canucks are doing really bad. Um, it, it is to be so highly aware, and so awareness comes out of two places. They're one. You have such reverence and awe, and two, you have such love that you can't take your eyes off her. One or the other. And then the third one is his voice. His voice sustains everything. His voice sustains everything. It's strange though that in Genesis, as soon as Adam sinned and fell short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3:23. He questions God's goodness, he hides from the sound of his voice, he's cut off from his daily presence. Those are the three things that immediately die in Eden. He questions God's goodness, And so the ploy to keep us from returning to Eden or regaining Eden, the ploy to keep us from returning to the original mandate of being carriers of his glory is still the same. And I'm saying this to those that are listening to me right now and those that are listening to this years down the line, that the common ploy of the enemies can I have you question the goodness of God over and over again I will question you about the goodness of God till I plant a seed of suspicion in your mind that in this area you cannot rely on God and he isn't good and he is not true to his promise because I have questioned you for the last 20 days and you have not been able to answer me I want to get to a place where the goodness of God is no longer a matter of faith for me it is a matter of absolute truth Gravity is not a question of faith for me. You step into these realms and I can guarantee you as a church we will become receptacles of his glory which is what God is looking for. An awareness of his presence that comes from awe. Such reverence. Reverence then takes care of everything else. Reverence takes care of holiness. Reverence takes care of awareness. (laughs) Reverence takes care of presence. takes care of everything. Love takes care of holiness. Um, A a husband who is um, committed in love to his wife cannot even um, imagine infidelity. He doesn't entertain that thought. Because to think like that feels like he's harming his wife or betraying her. His voice. I'm not talking about hearing God, guys. We hear God so that he can lead us. Nothing wrong with that, it's critical uh, part of uh, Christian living, it's just stupid that we don't live that way. I'm talking about his voice as in that which gives life, that which sustains, that which you find yourself in. It is not, give me direction. It is, uh, what are you thinking? What are you saying? I I just want to participate with you, oh God. Everything you do is with your voice. Your word is your voice. Jesus is your voice. The Holy Spirit is your voice. Your voice, I see it in creation. It says so in Psalm 29. Creation speaks day and night. It speaks how to be engaged with God in terms of his voice that way that the voice of the Lord splits the cedars the voice of the Lord creates streams in the desert I don't know I think I have to help differentiate what I mean when I say it's not about hearing God it is the voice of God We'll talk about it in the future, there's so much man, there's so much God wants to tell us. It's this combination of Samuel on one hand, who as a child hears the voice of God and then it's also a combination of Isaiah, who isn't even being addressed but says here am I, send me because he knows God is speaking and it's a combination of John on the island of Patmos when he hears the trumpets play and he sees one who's faces as bright as the morning sun and his feet are burning brass and he's about to reveal a story about himself the testimony of Jesus Christ and John happens to hear it is this combination where on one hand you're like a child who is alert and does not even fathom what is being said but knows that he needs to go and tell Eli I think I heard someone calling to Isaiah, who knows that he's not being addressed, but hears a voice in the divine council and says, please, please, can I? To John, who is just a- an exile on a remote island and who turns around because he knows someone has just walked onto the island. That is what I mean by voice. It is not just a hearing of God. The reason we don't experience his glory, and I said this many weeks ago, is because we try to accommodate his glory. And his glory cannot be accommodated. It can only be surrendered to. We cannot accommodate his glory. I cannot accommodate his glory in a song. Which is why it is impossible to deal with glory without being undignified. At least in the Old Testament, they didn't have a choice. When the glory of God would fall on someone or something, it would become undignified. Saul stripped himself naked. But now that does not happen because we are in control of our brand new spirits and, and God doesn't take over control. But it is impossible to accommodate glory. And the way we accommodate glory, or let's even forget glory, the way we accommodate anointing or glory is by deciding the limits to which uh, uh, we will choose to be undignified it has to stay within uh, a certain latitude i want to i want to never be able to accommodate god in acts 29 we never we can only surrender to it and any surrender is ultimately going to make you look disheveled undignified absolutely beautiful No questions, eh? Guys, the glory carries... The glory of God carries, creates, judges, subdues, resurrects. The glory of God carries, as in, once the glory of God enters uh, any realm on the earth, any church, it has the ability to carry the church. It has the ability, uh, the, the anointing then is great because you function in your role, but you are not able to do anything because it is the I am now who carries whatever he needs to carry, creates, judges, as in judges what is right and wrong and deals with what is wrong. The glory of God deals with what is wrong, eh? subdues, resurrects, Whenever the glory of God comes into a place, always—it it is always accompanied by the voice of God. Never forget that. That the glory of God, whenever it comes anywhere, is always accompanied by the voice of God. It is never separated. It is always accompanied by the voice of God. You will hear the voice of God. It's almost like a litmus test. So what do you mean, glory carries, creates, judges? Guys, sometimes our, uh, even though we read the Bible, uh, when I found this out, I was just so blown away that I haven't even had time to explore it further. But um, sometimes when we read the Bible and... uh, we, we try to imagine the scene, especially the Gospels and the Book of Acts. You try to imagine the scene. And most of our imaginations are then drawn from the latest Jesus movie or the latest Acts movie. But, but And in the process, we sometimes don't realize the enormity of what has happened. So when you look at um, um, John 18, remember the scene where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just gotten up from praying. And now um, the gods have come to arrest him. And they come looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. Uh, In most Bibles, it's I am he. But the idea was that I am. What we don't realize is the number of people who were there. Let's go to John 18. John 18. Talking about the glory. Let me show you what the glory can do to the enemies of God. John 18, verse uh, 6. And they said, uh, again he asked them, verse 7, sorry, uh, verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that he was going, was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the tra- traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. This idea of drew back and fell to the ground, depending on the denomination you're from, you'll put a spin on it. Some say only Judas fell to the ground. Some say, yeah, the guys who came with him fell to the ground. Go to verse 3. I know I'm spending a lot of time with this verse but it's just to show you a point. So Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. The actual word used for soldiers that the detachment was a band or a cohort. You know how many soldiers were there that day? 600. 600 soldiers come to arrest Christ. And they ask, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. 600 of them Go back a step and then fall down on their backs. In most movies, we sh- sh- see two or three staggering back. Six hundred people or more, because they were not just soldiers; they were men with the soldiers. A cohort, which is six hundred people, a legion is six thousand. Six hundred of them, when they hear him say "I am," fall backwards. Just to give you an idea, God has the ability to take creation and use it to display his glory. What does he do? He says to Joshua, listen, I wanted you to do something. I know I've set everything in order. I know I have put things in orbit. But I want you to turn and say to the sun and the moon, stand still. God uses creation to display his glory, sometimes to subdue the enemy. I've heard real life stories of God using the elements of nature to completely turn a nation around or a people around. God uses that idea of glory to resurrect people. Peter goes, resurrects uh, Dorcas. Paul goes, resurrects Eutychus. Or raise people. I won't use the word resurrect. Raise people from the dead. That is a glorious act, man. There's no anointing to raise the dead. But the glory of God can do it. Jesus did it multiple times. He did it with Jairus' daughter. He did it with the son of the widow of Nine. He did it with Lazarus. This is a display of who I am. That's the intent. Listen, you're coming to arrest me. If I want to, I can call down 12 legions of angels right now. But I won't. I will just tell you who I am. Am I Jesus of Nazareth? Yes, I am. And that was enough. This is what this church should become a receptacle for. So that God can do what he wants to do upon the earth just by his sheer I amness. But to get there, we have to become a certain kind of people. The next week, and if, if necessary, midweek, um, the intent is that, oh God, please, oh God, we need to become a receptacle for your glory. Joshua is still the son. Moses divided the Red Sea. Try doing it with the Fraser. Go to Richmond, but don't take the bridge. It is the glory of God that parts a lake or a sea or an ocean. Elijah did it. Elisha did it. They did it with the Jordan. Elijah called down fire. Elijah stopped the rain. These are glorious acts of God. I want to hear before I die, where is the God of Elijah? And I say, here he is. I believe in power encounters. I believe that nations are taken through power encounters. I've seen them firsthand. Where where national gods are dismantled in one power encounter and an entire nation begins to turn. But it is not enough that one man do it. God is so not into one man shows. One man shows anything built around one man, anything built around a brand will collapse because all it takes is for one man to commit a mistake. The king of glory is strong and mighty in battle, huh? That's who we are talking about. That, oh God, come, Father, revisit again. Revisit again. Do what you used to do. Not even in the Old Testament. Let's just start with the book of Acts, Father. Do what you used to do in the book of Acts. But we must become a certain kind of people, and we'll talk about that before we end. The King of glory, strong and mighty in battle, he cannot be resisted. He will not be satisfied to remain at a distance. Hey, Acts 29. Here's the truth. Either we walk with him through this and get to where he's taking it. Otherwise, he will let us do church. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm telling you the truth. I'm scared of it. I'm excited about it. And I'd be really upset if we didn't uh, get to where God wants us to go to he will either his his thing before you is now I've given you enough Jacob I've given you guys enough I've taught you I've taken care of you I've nurtured you I've sent you the best I've brought you up I've taught you I've filled you to the brim now give me the fruit that I want otherwise I'll let you do church oh my god my lungs scream saying please please anything else but don't let us do church So we must be shaped into a certain type of people why because if we are saying that faith anointing and glory and glory is what God needs to release for a global revival then the people need to become a certain type of people so that they are receptacle carriers the king of glory psalm 24 Lift up your gates, lift up your ancient doors, let the king of glory come in. Who is this king of glory? I'm telling you, this king of glory is strong and mighty in battle. He cannot be resisted. He is not satisfied to remain at a distance. He will not compromise with us. There is no compromise with us in this. This is what I brought you to, this is where I'm going. Do you want to come? If you don't want to come, I'll let you do church. I'll make sure you all come to heaven. We've had many moments like this, guys. 2007, when Eddie came, it was the same choice we had. You wanna do church or you wanna step up? When Chad came first, it was the same. You wanna continue doing what you're doing well or you wanna change your way of operating? He cannot be resisted. He will not be satisfied to remain at a distance. He will not compromise with us. He will not negotiate with satanic forces. He will not negotiate with Pharaoh. He will not negotiate with any other power that exerts lordship over man. He ain't here to say, hey Pharaoh, so how about I leave 20 and you give me 60. There's no percentage here. I have come to make sure that you, Acts 29, have the ability to go and say to those that keep my people, let my people go. Because I am not negotiating with any Pharaoh, I am not negotiating with any power that exerts or wants to share a hold upon mankind. I will not allow it, that is not why I have raised you. And if that means that I pour you out, so be it Jacob, be poured out. That is when we get to speak Psalm 24 over and over again. So I'm saying to us, let us open the gates for this king of glory. It'll bring down heaven and it'll bring down a whole host of angels too. Because glory is almost always mediated by angels. Throughout the Bible. In the New and the Old Testament. which is not what we are getting excited about. We are getting excited about the glory. Getting excited about the angels would be like not right. I was gonna say something else, but maybe I should just be good. So how do we open the gates? How do we open the gates? How do we open the gates? Psalm 24. So here are the ways we open the gates. First, If you look at Psalm 24, you will see that Psalm 24 first declares who God is in one and two, that he owns everything, guys. And then from three to six, it tells you what you need to become. And from seven to 10, it tells you who he is and then it concludes. So if you were to use Psalm 24, oh, that's my, oh, that's opposite, okay. Sorry, I was just looking at the screen. My left arm is right and my right arm is left on the screen. It's not important. Psalm 24, how do we open the gates? Psalm 24, first we enter into the presence of God, first we enter into the presence of God, first we enter into the presence of God, not through worship, not through worship, but, not through worship, but by walking in a manner but by walking in a manner consistent with his nature. But by walking in a manner consistent with his nature. This is what we'll be spending the next week talking about. How do we walk in a manner consistent with his nature? What are the two or three things that we absolutely have to make a corporate concerted effort to become? If you look at Psalm 24, and I'm reading from the KJV because it kind of conveys what God is trying to say. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6, I think verses 4 and 6, 4 and 5. Psalm 24, verses. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4, he that has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. I want us to become such a truthful church. I want us to hate lies. I want us to hate deceit. I want us as a people. Ah, Me, absolutely. It is absolutely important that Jacob begins to have such a love for truth in the inward parts, truth from his mouth, and truth of the word. And I want every one of us to be, one of the things glory does is that it makes a church physically and spiritually transparent. And we are not. Please don't for a second assume that. We are not. We are a great church. There's a degree of openness that you will not find in most churches. But we are talking about something else. The glory of God is becoming like him. I want these things in Psalm 24 verse 5 to become something that is common to the nature of this church. Why? Because then we become receptacles of his glory. Don, can you get me one of those golden urns? You break it, you buy it. yeah become receptacles of his glory if i break it don't buy it that's what i was trying to say yeah receptacles of his glory eh? that's what i want us to become where god can fill at pleasure god can pour out at pleasure empty god can break most 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 jars that god actually has will never look like this eh? it is it is treasures of it is treasures in jars of not jars adorned like this. So this is the wrong jar. I was talking about the other one, uh, Don. How come you got this one? I'm just kidding, Don. I was pointing at this one. After it came here, I realized it's the wrong one. Anyways, guys, the first thing we do is um, enter into the presence of God, not through worship, but by walking in a manner consistent with his nature. how we will start looking at Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6. What does it mean to have clean hands? It, what does it mean to not have your soul lifted up unto vanity? What does it mean to have a pure heart? What does it mean to live a life that is empty of deceit? Ah. Once we do this, then what happens is, The king of glory enters into the presence of a people who seek his face and walk in his ways. that's what happens next that's what is happening in verse 7 to 10 first the people ascend the hill of the Lord and then the Lord comes and says alright now you can open the gates because I want to enter into your presence guys here's the thing eh? the plan from the beginning was that Adam and Eve would reflect the glory of this king The plan from the beginning was that Adam and Eve would reflect the glory of this king. This is not something new. This is not something unattainable. It has always been plan A. and There's never a plan B with Jesus. It has always been the plan that, listen, from the beginning it was that Adam and Eve would reflect the glory of this king and that they would fill the earth with it. Through their children they would fill the earth with it. They were set up in a garden sanctuary to be a resplendent royal image of the glorious king. And it's the same with the ark. In First Samuel 4:22, um, in First Samuel 4:22, when the Philistines steal the ark, what is what do the Israelites say? That the glory of God has departed. That's what the Israelites say. Because the ark was supposed to be Israel's ultimate possession. In the ark, or the ark represented the glory of God. God's intent was, listen, I dwell amongst you as a people and my glory dwells amongst you. And this ark is symbolic of it. It is the kind of glory that they treated with such reverence and awe. So much so that the Philistines stole it. And as this woman is giving birth, she names her son Ichabod, which means the glory of Israel has departed. God's intent from the beginning. The reason I'm saying this is you must see the absolute possibility of this. It is the plan of God. It is not something that we are ascending to attain. It is what he has brought down to us. This is not impossible. This is not difficult. But he needs us to become a certain kind of people. in 1 Samuel 15:29 he calls himself the glory of israel god's intent has always been this please can i find a people amongst whom i can dwell and my glory be displayed he calls himself the glory of israel In 1 Samuel 15, 29, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, what did they say of Jesus? I read that verse out. out. Listen, I am the accurate representation of the God of glory and I am the radiant expression of his glory. And I sustain everything with my voice. Jesus was the personification of the glory of God. Then you look at the church. What does Paul say about the church? That listen, you are a people. Christ in you the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 At the end of the day, from the beginning of time, God has been looking for one thing only. And has he found it? He's looking for the carriers of glory. And the strange thing is he's been finding it over the last 2,000 years. eh? A certain kind of people. That will not own, distort, monetize, monopolize or attempt to his I amness Which is why Psalm 24 verse 3 to 6 is critical in this. I'd say this week if you know how to humble yourself, do that. If humbling yourself means fasting from things, do that. If humbling yourself means going and saying to someone that listen, I can treat you better or I have wronged you and I can do better. If it lowers you, do it. Because there is a process of lowering that is necessary for things that hold on to your present body to no longer fit. When something shrinks, it falls off. When you shrink, what is around you now falls off. Use this weak to practice your own way of fasting. I'm not here to tell you what kind of fasting. Why are we fasting? Are we fasting for something from God? Not really, we are fasting uh, to become something for him. Not because we want something from him, it is to become something for him. Now that I'm in this receptive state, oh God, having lowered myself, can you now do what only you can do? What's that song? Do only what you can do. Do, 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 do. Did we sing that today? Ah, that's why. Uh if you heard that noise, it's just what Don does every week. He both yeah. carriers of his glory you know what happens once we become carriers of his glory Balaam will begin to declare Balaam will begin to declare that the Lord their God is amongst them and I hear in their midst the shout of a king once the people begin to become receptacles of God's glory Balaam will declare that the Lord their God is with them Numbers 23 verse 21 the Lord their God is with them and the shout of a king, and the shout of a king is in their midst. Numbers twenty-three, twenty-one. That is what Balaam begins to declare. This is when power encounters become less frequent because there is no comparison to what now a people can do. Balak hires Balaam but it is of no avail because Balak has to go home. Numbers 23-21. Now finally the fourth uh, stage is God's people begin to live under a canopy. God's people begin to live under a canopy of His glory. And they follow His glory wherever it may lead. They follow it follow his glory wherever it leads where is that from Jacob Isaiah 4 let me just read it again there too there is the need to become a certain kind of people Isaiah 4 verses 1 to 6 Isaiah 4 verses 1 to 6 God's people begin to live under the canopy, follow his glory. Others begin to seek us to have their shame removed and they beg to be called by our name. I love that. Others begin to seek us to have their shame removed and they beg to be called by our name. Not by the name of Acts 29, by the name of the people of God. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1 onwards. Reading from the NIV. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food and provide our own clothes Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy all who are recorded among the living in jerusalem the lord will wash away the filth of the women of zion he'll cleanse the bloodstains from jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire let it be so father may you judge and refine may your fire fall so that like i was saying yesterday bring your winnowing fork folk so that all the chaff in my life is separated O oh god i'm burnt away so that what remains is good grain why Even if it's a painful process, Father, there's huge reward, Father. Huge reward. This is what we were born for. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and the rain. Beautiful, eh? Let me conclude with a word for Acts 29. The glory of God will affect Acts 29. The glory of God is going to affect Acts 29. It's going to transform us from a fighting church to a resting and ruling church of Revelations 2.27. In Revelations 2.27 it talks about, um, let me read it, it's beautiful in the message. Uh, Revelations 2.27. It says, Here's the reward I have for you, Acts 29. Every conqueror, everyone who keeps it and refusing to give up. You'll rule the nations. Your shepherd king rule as firm as an iron staff. Their resistance fragile as clay pots. This was the gift my father gave me. I pass it along to you. Oh, Amen! Acts 29 will be affected by the glory of God. Put blinders on, eh? Penny sent me a word today and... Um, I should just quickly read it out to you. Why do horses wear blinders? Horses have peripheral vision, which means they can end up running off course unless they are made to remain focused. Covering part of their vision encourages the horse to take chances it would not normally take. It keeps their eyes focused on what is ahead rather than what is at the side or behind. It stops them from losing concentration on the direction they're supposed to be headed. It reduces the chance of the horse being spooked and making a run for it as they are easily spooked and automatically run from perceived danger. May the Lord put blinders on us so that we are single-minded in our focus and our pursuit of this one thing that God wants to do on the earth, eh? Other things will be taken care of in the midst of it. God is not a one-dimensional God. Glory will affect Acts 29, hallelujah. This is when I wish I had the capacity to ra rah you. Glory will affect Acts 29, and then I think to myself, thank God I don't have it. Glory will affect Acts 29, Transfer, transforming us from a fighting church. We are a fighting church. We are a church that knows how to fight and prevail. Transform us from a fighting church to a Revelations 2.27 ruling and resting church. It'll transform us from an earthly places church to a heavenly places church. These are not terms I'm throwing around. These are terms that are absolutely explainable, definable, that's already happening in the lives of people at Acts 29. One thing we are is relatively modest. Other than me, most people in this church are modest. And so you don't hear the exploits of the people in this church as much. We become a heavenly places church instead of an earthly places church. Ephesians 2, 6. And we become an unusual, we we, we become a church with an unusual spiritual and physical transparency. And that must happen, that must happen. That will happen. As we go down the road of Psalm 24, verse three to six, may it be the spirit of fire and the spirit of judgment uh, from God. As in, let God judge. Hey Jacob, this, you may think it's straight, but when I look at it, it's crooked. Hey Jacob, let me burn this out with fire. The thing is, and I'll talk about this next week, anytime God wants us to leave something, there's always a reward also that we leave with. So looking forward to us as a people becoming something together. As this happens, we'll see some strange, beautiful happenings amongst us. One, we'll see the revelation of the sons of God in our midst. What I mean by that is Romans 8 verse 19 says, creation longs for the uh, manifestation of the sons of God. I know that scripture can be taken and spoken about in many, many different ways. Let me explain how I mean it. As we do go down this road, you will see that sons and daughters of God in this church will begin to rise up and uh, uh, show how splendidly son of god they are. Go ahead. There's a question. Can you repeat the word again? from Jacob. Which word, Heidi? Pardon? Oh, Acts 29. Okay. Glory will affect Acts 29, transforming us from a fighting church to a Revelations 2 27 from the message church, a ruling and resting church, from an earthly places church to a heavenly places church, Ephesians 2 6, from a uh, from a holy church to an unusually spiritual, to an unusual spiritual, spiritually and physically transparent church. Ephesians five twenty seven. From the message, puts it this way: I want you, my bride, to be dazzling in silk, and uh, let me read it. It's, it's that sense. Um, Ephesians five twenty seven. Yeah, a bride who's who's dressed in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. There's something about it that is spiritually and physically transparent. That is what then allows you to don that kind of costume or that kind of uh, apparel. And as that happens, we will see, one, the revelation of the sons of God. As in, you will see suddenly David's rise up, Joshua's rise up. You will see Deborah's rise up. You will see Miriam's rise up. You will see Paul's rise up. Peter's rise up. You will see John the Beloved rise up. You will see Martha rise up. Mary's rise up. You will see women and men who have in them suddenly all the purposes of God contained within the next two three years coming to such fulfillment that creation will long for them it says in Romans 8 21 the creation is groaning for the for the manifestation of the sons of God as in show me what your God looks like decay and bondage will break decay and bondage will be undone decay and bondage around us I know those scriptures are talking about the end times where God will reveal his sons and daughters in their absolute glory because when he appears we will share his glory. I know it's talking about that. I also know it says there that creation that is groaning in decay and bondage will be set free seeing the freedom of the sons of God. I know it's talking about the end but everything that is supposed to be consummated at the end must begin now. We progressively work towards the end. God is not some kind of a magician who's saying let it be rotten now and then hey presto touch at the end of the ages and suddenly everything becomes new. No that's not why we were put here. We were put here to display what is waiting at the end now. We are a people from the future who are occupying middle earth saying look at the glory of God now I know you see dimly but even in the dimness that you see it with the glory of God is sufficiently bright for you to have a revelation of Christ like very few can have and now for sons and daughters in this church to rise up and say hey now look at me manifest in the glory of God when I touch something decay and I know how to break bondage that is what we are talking about so that as it says in Isaiah 60 verse 12 even the least amongst you will be able to deal with a thousand that's what it says in Isaiah 60 verse 12 that's what we are talking about guys that's what we are talking about when we talk about the becoming receptacles for the glory of God and the earth needs it otherwise it continues in decay and bondage I don't know how to end. Father, I just want this. I want this for your sake, I want this for our sake, I want it for the sake of the world.